the seventh verse of the sixth chapter of the book of the Acts. I want to speak today upon this text as the basis for a subject, earnest of tremendous success. I want to speak on two particular phases of this subject. I want to talk, first of all, about the instruments of tremendous success. And then I want to speak upon the accomplishments of tremendous success. Now, in reading this portion of Scripture, you have no doubt become acquainted with the fact that the early church, like every other church, had difficulties. And there will always be difficulties in a spiritual church. When a church is living, vitalized by the Spirit of God, and there is a stirring in the hearts of the people, when the fire of evangelism is burning on the altar of the church, then there will be from time to time a stirring even among the saints. There was trouble here in this church. The woman had a bit of trouble here. They thought they were neglected. And then this trouble became a racial trouble. And the Hebrews and the Greeks, they protested one against the other. Now you will notice that the twelve apostles knew how to handle the situation. And you will notice that the handling of the situation was the appointment of men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom they could appoint over the business. The answer to every problem in the church is for men to know the power and the fullness of the Spirit of God. This is the only answer. You don't solve difficulties in the church by church meetings. If you want to have a really good row, have a church meeting. I want to say, my friend, that's why I'm a Presbyterian. I believe that the elders and the office bearers should rule the church as they are appointed so to do. The church of Jesus Christ was never intended to be a democracy. The church of Jesus Christ is a monarchy. And Christ is the great king and head of the church, and he has appointed elders for its proper administration and for its proper ministry. So, I believe in the eldership. Now, let me say something here. Let me say the only way to solve difficulties in the church is to know the power of God. And the church here solved its difficulties. And immediately the church had dealt with the problem. God came down with blessing and fire from heaven. And when the church of Jesus Christ has men appointed to look after it, full of the Spirit of God, by there'll be blessing. Something will happen. Now let's look at the text. It says the word of God increased. And the number 
of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Here, my friend, is the result of God's people being led by spirit-filled men and the administration of the church being in the hands of men of honest report. The instruments of success in the church are, first of all, the operation of the Spirit of God and the smile of heaven. That we do not have the blessing and benediction of God's Spirit upon us, then all our zeal and all our labor is in thee. When the church thinks that by its own efforts, by its own talents, by its own schemes, and by its own programs, and by its great successes, that it's winning the battle against sin and evil, then that church is headed for apostasy. The only thing that can help the church is to be endured with power from on high. Paul may plant, Apollos may water, but it's God that gives the increase. And if God is not amongst us, my brethren, all our labor is in thee. And it should be the earnest prayer of every church member in this house that the preacher and the office bearers and every member should be anointed with the power of heaven for the work of the ministry. And if we haven't that anointing, then all our labors are in vain. What a great thing it is to see the Spirit of God at work. Last Sunday evening, after the service, a young woman came to talk with me. And she said to me, Mr. Paisley, I'm not going to trust Christ tonight. And she laughed. I was a long time in this house after everyone was gone. I didn't get away, I suppose, for almost an hour and a half after the service was over. And just as I was leaving, that young lady was back again, tears in her eyes, broken by the power of the Spirit of God. She said, I've come to receive Jesus as my Savior. And I had the great joy of kneeling down and appointing her to Christ, who alone can see. My friend, this is the work of the Spirit of God, and this is what we need in this church. And when this church ceases to have the Spirit of God, it ceases to be a New Testament church. How many assemblies in this city, how many ecclesiastical establishments in our land, they have the letter, but they haven't the Spirit. The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And it's life that we need in the church. Life. Happy is the man who knows the Spirit's anointing on his work. Then shall the work of God prosper in the hands of those that know the power of God. Then you'll notice that this success came through the plain preaching of the gospel of Christ. This is the way that God has ordained to save man. Not by the eloquence, not by the scholarship, not by the skill, not by the attainments of men, but by a simple proclamation of the old-fashioned gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I have been struck as I have read again the history of the Reformers. How clean and straight they were. Luther said, I am not in my preaching to convince Melanchthon and his learned colleagues who sit in church to listen to me. But he said, I aim at the sinners that with great cleanness of speech I might make known to them the way of salvation. And this, my friend, is the way that revival comes when the gospel is preached with great cleanness of speech. Let us make no apology for simple gospel preaching. Let us stand up and declare the doctrine of the total depravity of the human race. That there is no good in any man. No matter what his religion, no matter what his color, no matter what his creed, no matter what his attainments, or what is his standing in any strata of society. Let us declare the truth of the Holy Book that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That there is none righteous, no, not one. That the race apart from the triumphant grace of God is headed for perdition and the depths of eternal hell forevermore. Let us declare the doctrine of the total depravity of man. But let us declare of man's need is as deep as hell. The grace of God is as high as the heaven. Let us tell man that there's power in the blood of Jesus to save them from their sins. Let us tell man that the gospel can change and transform and break every fetter and smash every chain of sinful habit and set the prisoners free. This is the message we need to preach. It has pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. What we need in Ulster is a revival of old-fashioned flames, straight gospel preaching. Away with the refinements of ecclesiasticalism. Away with the refinements of so-called theological scholarship. God send as man full of the Holy Ghost who will preach the gospel the way it ought to be preached. And when that happens, there'll be success as the Word of God is preached. And if there be some sinner in our service this morning, some unregenerate, unconverted person, let me tell you, you'll not be saved by the church. The church is paralyzed as it faces your sin. You'll not be saved by baptism, whether a few drops in infancy or total immersion when you're older. No water can wash away the stains of sin. Let me tell you that salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. And let it be known that Jesus saves and he alone saves. And if you want to be saved, you have not to meet the minister or the church office bearer. You have to meet Jesus. Thank God he's a living person. He's alive. My Savior lives in the power of an endless life. We need to exhort ourselves. Could I say a word of exhortation to the Sabbath school teachers that are here? You need to preach to that class the plain gospel of Christ. But you say, preacher, it's so difficult every day to repeat the same message. My friend, do not waver. Do not lose heart. 
Because that gospel that you're seeking to get into young hearts is a living seed. And if you plant it the way it ought to be planted, praise God, it'll bring forth an abundant harvest. I have absolute faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This church needs nothing else to fill its pews. This church needs nothing else to make it a success. This preacher needs no other message but the simple message that Jesus saves and man can be born again by the Spirit of God. Let's get on with this task of preaching simply the gospel of Jesus Christ. Plain preaching. This is what's neat. I remember once as a student going to preach in a little church away up in North Antrim. And I was put into the local hotel over the weekend. And the local schoolmaster also resided in the hotel. And we had lunch together after church on Sunday. Needless to say, he didn't go to the church I was preaching in. And uh, he said to me, what did you preach on this morning? I said, with a smile, I said, I preached on the pulpit. That's where I was preaching from. And he laughed. He said, I want to know what you're preaching about. So I gave him a rough outline of my message. He said, that's easy to understand. He said, I could understand that. And I said, what about your church? Well, he says, you know, I'm the schoolmaster, and I suppose I'm about the best educated person that goes to the church. And he says, I can never understand what our preacher says. I said, what about the poor fisherman and the plowman? Oh, he says, they wouldn't understand it at all. My friend, we are called to preach a gospel that man will understand. Let us tear away the pulpit etiquette that has surrounded much preaching. Let's get down to the hard facts of the gospel and let's preach them in the simple language that the common people can understand. Let's preach a Christ who can save and a blood that can cleanse and a gospel that can regenerate. Could I say something more? That if I stand up filled with the Spirit of God and I preach the plain gospel, that gospel will only be effectual if it's backed up by holiness of life and separateness of walk. It's not enough to be orthodox in doctrine, but I must be orthodox in living. And I want to make a plea here for holiness of life among the people of God. It is very easy in this sin-corrupted age to be contaminated with worldly things. It's very easy for the people of God to take a lax attitude to sin. It's very easy for the people of God to try and conform to worldly standards. It's very easy for the people of God to be brainwashed. I'm conditioned by this corrupted 20th century. My friend, Christian people should be different from worldly people. Let me tell you that there should be a marked difference between the man that's saved and the man that's lost. The line of demarcation between the Christian and the worldling should be self-evident. It's not enough, my friend, to say you believe the truth. But if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. 
And the freedom of the gospel is a freedom that leads to holiness of life and honesty in business and in heart. And the greatest testimony to the gospel is a man walking a life that brings glory to the Lord. And we certainly need this in our day and generation. God's people should be an upright people. God's people should be an honest people. God's people should be a pure people. God's people should be a holy people. Their characterization should be holiness unto the Lord. There should be holiness in their home, holiness in their business, holiness in their dress, holiness in their speech, holiness in their outlook. Alas, today, how many Christians are conforming to the standards of the age. May God save us from such a conformity. May God help us as a church to raise the standard as I, as the Bible has raised it. I have no other standard for my life but the standard of this book. And there are places that God's people should not go. And there are things that God's people should not indulge in. And there are companies that God's people shouldn't associate with. We're not to be isolationists, but we're to be separatists. And there is a great difference. I'm not to cut myself off from my fellow man, but I have to walk a separatist path before God. The testimony of a holy life. You know, we will never be successful if we're not prepared for personal exertion in this work. You know, many of God's people leave the business of soul winning to the preacher. They say, that's the preacher's business. Let him get on with it. Many of them leave the business of soul winning to the church worker. Many of them leave the business of soul winning to the evangelist. But this is not true, my friend. If you read the passage in the epistle where it says that he gave gifts to the church... And these gifts were for the perfecting of the saints unto the work of the ministry. That means that every man and woman has a ministry to give to God. There are no sleeping partners in God's church drawing the dividends and not doing anything for them. You've got to be a working partner in the church. Would to God every member of this church made a personal effort to win man for Christ. Would to God every member of this church said, I'll do my best to make my contribution to the church of Christ. When the church starts to work, God starts to bless. There's personal exertion. My friend, a church is not built easily. It's built on the prayers and the tears of God's people. You say, well, I have tried to win souls, preacher, and I have failed. Let me tell you, friend, God needs to discipline you in this soul winning work. If you got success easy, soon you would be lifted up of pride and you'd be useless to the master. God must test and try his people. God must lead us over the difficulties and the disappointments. Until we become a sharp, crashing instrument having teeth, a polished shaft in the hand of the great king of battles. There is no easy way. 
We must go the way of the cross in personal exertion. What exertion have you made for God's kingdom this week, my brother, my sister in Christ? Have you spoken to that soul about the Savior? Have you looked at every contact in business as a contact for Jesus Christ? Have you sought to fasten a barbed arrow of conviction in the heart of every man that you meet for Jesus Christ? Oh, if we're going to be successful, personal exertion is a vital necessity. Then let me tell you that all this would be in vain if we didn't know the power of prayer. I must pray. I must pray more. I must wrestle in fervent intercession. I must know what it is to close the door on the world and to bow the knee and before my God to seek His fear. And if the church is prayerless, prayerlessness leads to carelessness. And carelessness leads to worldliness. And worldliness leads to sinfulness. But when the church prays, it moves forward. Oh, that God would help us today to dedicate our hearts to prayer. Lord, help me to wrestle. Help me to intercede. Help me to plead with Thee for men before I go out to plead with men for Thee. We need as a church to pray. And every member of this church ought to know the secret of prayer. This not only means that we come here on Wednesday night, and it is the duty of every church member to be in their place on Wednesday evening at the prayer meeting, but it is also our duty to live in the atmosphere of prayer, to be continually praying, to snatch up every minute of every hour for prayer. The world has yet to see what God would do with a church that fell on its knees and cried to God for blessing. Prayerlessness is the great sin of the church. It's the great sin of this church. It's the great sin of the preacher and the office bearers and every member, and we must confess it. We don't pray as fervently as we should. We don't pray as often as we should. We don't pray with a fire the way we should. May God forgive us, and may we realize that success can only come by prayer. And then last of all, the fire must be burning in our souls. You know, it's great to meet a Christian who's on fire. Something about a Christian that's burning. You're warm-hearted. You know, you meet some people, Christians, and you think they lived at the North Pole. They're so cold. There's Christians, and I tell you straight, I avoid them when I see them coming. Because they're so miserable, and they're so cold, and all they have is some story about some brother's failures. I detest people like that. I avoid them. Get out of their way. But how happy it is to meet a man who has the fire of God burning in his soul. There's Christians that does you good to meet them, doesn't it? And they'll tell you about some blessed promise they read in the book that very morning that brought blessing to their soul. Or they tell you about some man long prayed for who at last has surrendered to the claims of Christ and is now a glowing witness to the power of the gospel. These are the things that matter. 
And if we haven't this sacred fire burning within our heart, then we will not have the energy or the zeal or the enthusiasm for this work. We will become lethargic and dead and sleepy and cold. Oh, for the fire of God. If ye, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask Him? And we need to ask continually that we might be filled and overflowing with this fire. Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us, by the way? If these things are in this church and abound, the operation of the Spirit, the plea and preaching of the gospel, holy living to back it up, personal exertion, all prayer, a fire of burning. You know what will happen in this church? Souls will be saved in this church. John Owen said the old Puritan, it would be well worthwhile if a man labored and everybody he knew labored with him to win one soul for Christ. It would be worthwhile. Richard Nill, the great missionary, said that there was only one lost soul in the world. And the whole world went after that one lost soul and labored for a lifetime and the end won that soul. That would be well worthwhile, and so it would. But my friend, there are souls all around us dying for the want of Jesus Christ. Men are sick of religion. They're sick of the cant and the humbug of religion. But they have never met Christ. There is a great difference between religion and Christ. There is a great difference between church establishments and the risen personal Savior. Men need to meet Him. You can introduce your fellows to Jesus Christ and souls will be saved if we make these instruments our instruments for success. I'll tell you what's more, Christ will be glorified. The greatest thing that brings glory to the Lord is for a man to be saved. There's something about the testimony of a sinner saved by grace that glorifies the man of Calvary. I don't know how you feel, but when I hear about a sinner coming to Christ and testifying of the grace of God, a thrill enters my soul. But what a thrill must fill the soul of Jesus. He shall see, says the book of the travail of a soul, and shall be satisfied. Last of all, the church will be built. And this is the way you build the church. With living stones, man and woman saved, and brought in the church fellowship. For the Lord adds to the church such as are being saved. The way the Lord builds the church. He doesn't build the church with bishops. He doesn't build the church with attainments of the world. He builds it with souls saved. May God send us soul-winning fire through these pews. May God make every one of us a willing instrument to be used and honored of the Lord. May God answer prayer this morning and baptize us with his power for Jesus' sake.